welcome to Shoot Speak HR. This podcast episode is going to focus on the, the state of the employment tribunals um, and the impact that COVID has had on them. Um, you've got myself and Amy Leach, our normal presenters. Hi, Amy. Hi, Andy. You're right. I'm all good, thank you. And we're delighted to be joined by Joe Tunnicliffe, who is an associate in our Birmingham team. Um, hi, Joe. You okay? Hi, guys. I'm good, thank you. How are you? We're all good, thank you. Yeah. Uh, all the better for having you joining us. Um, of course. And what we always ask any of our guests is what their favourite podcast is. So I'm afraid you're not going to escape that. Um, well, obviously, apart from shoe speak hr um my favorite is it's an american podcast called stuff you should know um and i think it's one of like the oldest podcasts i think it started in like 2008 or something um but basically it's just two hosts who pick a topic each week completely random topic they do a bunch of research into it and then they just have a conversation about it so it's very general knowledge but some of them are really interesting like um, the Escape from Alcatraz one is really good, or there's loads of historical ones as well. So probably that one. It's quite geeky. Nice. I like it. And I, I like the fact that it's been around so long. Yeah, You're it's a good. committed, committed listener for that, yeah. for that length of time. There's thousands of episodes, so you always know you've got something to listen to. Good, good. Um, so tribunals, um, I guess... Joe is an experienced advocate uh, within tribunals, uh, which is why we've got her on. Uh, it's also something that, that Amy and I do quite regularly. I was in tribunal yesterday, was due to start at 10.15 and got told very late in the day that it was going to be quarter past two. So that was frustrating for me. Um, but what is it like generally, Joe? Um, I'd say at the minute, the state of the tribunals probably isn't great. Um, I mean, even before the pandemic, um, because of funding and fees being introduced and then being scrapped, um, it, it wasn't in a great position going into the pandemic. Um, but then, yeah, unfortunately, um, COVID's only sort of made it worse. So the, the backlog has, has only got worse. I think that we're over sort of 50,000 claims um, as of earlier this year. Um, in terms of the estimate of claims that are within the backlog. Um, and I think it was the Ministry of Justice also released stats in relation to how long a claim lasts for once an ET1 form has been lodged. And at the minute, if it's a relatively uh, simple claim brought by a single employee, it takes just over a year to get it to go from the ET1 being filed to the final hearing. Um, but I mean, as we all probably know, with you know more com complex claims, sorry, um, and with multi-claimant um, cases, you know it can be two years, sometimes three. It just depends on how quickly preliminary hearings can be listed as well. Um, so yeah, if you're going to start litigating in the tribunal, I think yeah, you've got to be prepared to wait for a bit. I'd say as well, it is very much a, a postcode lottery as well in terms of. Um, the length of time that you do have to wait. So that, that can be a frustration um, for lots of our clients. Um, so, Amy, what, what does the roadmap look like to try and tackle this backlog, I guess? Yeah. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? 
Wow, we hope, we hope. Um, so the Tribunal Judiciary, they've published um, kind of like a roadmap, they're calling it, to I think to recovery <laughs> in the employment tribunals. Um, basically, as Joe said, in response to this backlog, really, there's more than kind of 50,000 claims sitting there um, that need to be dealt with. Um, and I think it involves a lot more of kind of telephone and video hearings, that kind of, or hybrid hearings that we've sort of seen come in over the pandemic and so on and actually having video and telephone hearings as the default for many types of hearings where sort of pre-pandemic um i'd remember i say so i'm based in milton Keynes. i'd have a hearing in the birmingham tribunal it'd be a two-hour hearing maybe it would last for 40 minutes max but i would have to get my hour and a bit trained to birmingham plus my travel to get there then i'd walk to the tribunal then you'd sit around a bit then you'd do your hearing <laughs> then you would um come out and by the time you've got home you spent about four or five hours for what actually was a 40-minute hearing so i do think the digitalization I'm sure we'll touch on this a bit later will be staying around and that's part of the roadmap um, and I think in-person hearings I think they will remain the default as part of this roadmap for some final hearings um, especially if it is sort of like uh, complicated discrimination claims um, or whistleblowing cases where evidence might be needed to be uh, seen in person but generally there is this plan in place and I suppose whether it provides any relief is still yet to be seen well, I think we're still at the very kind of early stages of the roadmap at the moment um I suppose touching on video hearings Andy do you want to sort of tell us a bit more about those yeah that, I mean like you say they they very much kind of come into being post-covid and to some extent has been a fantastic way of of dragging the tribunal kicking and screaming into the 21st century um you know because it, it does allow those efficiencies for the majority of preliminary hearings now they are via cvp which is a cloud video-based platform um and generally if parties are keen and apply for those kind of hearings to go ahead in that way then they will ordinarily be accepted by a judge they have their pros and cons uh, in it when it comes to a a final hearing it will depend on on the nature of the business it will depend on the nature of the individuals involved as to whether they would prefer a video hearing or they would prefer the in-person hearing um uh, and you know kind of there are certain complications in terms of making sure you've got the right technology making sure that um you've got the right space within the office or the house as it may be uh you know and we'll come on to um come on to joe in a little bit about how how giving evidence can be an issue mm -hmm. um but one very very early experience i had of a cvp hearing and it was a final hearing was for a claimant who was a litigant in person um and was giving evidence and had to kind of pan her camera around to demonstrate to the judge um that she was the only person in the room um because that is still a requirement for giving evidence that there's not somebody sat there coaching you um this claimant bless her was in her spare room and was absolutely mortified at how messy it was it had zero implication on on her credibility uh, or her evidence but she it unnerved her so it's something that i always mention to my witnesses now that you know kind of if you are house proud and that's going to kind of knock you off your stride or uh, just be aware that um, that could be something the judge asks you to do. So, um, so Joe, do you want to tell us a bit more about giving evidence um, over CVP and the issues that, that can arise from that other than having a, a messy bedroom? Yeah, sure. So um, I think 
when you when you first think about your witness preferences with you know how they want to give evidence it obviously is benefic- beneficial for them because like you said Amy you know you can cut down on traveling time for them it gives them more time to prep people tend to feel a bit more you know secure and prepared if they know they've only got to get to their spare room um you know and they've got everything waiting for them there so I think at first thought you'd think it would be quite straightforward, um, but there there has been um, some developments in case law which has created a bit of an issue really. Um, so it was uh, the the sort of back end of last year that there was a Home Office appeal um, in relation to a Nigerian witness um, who was in Nigeria at the time that they needed to give evidence within the UK jurisdiction, and um, essentially. Um, the whilst it's not an employment tribunal claim, um, they have referred to it as sort of guidance, um, presidential guidance um, as of this year, um, essentially saying that if you have a witness who is giving evidence electronically from abroad, you will need to seek permission from that foreign state for them to be able to give oral evidence in the UK from within that country's own territory. Um, and again, that that might seem relatively easy to begin with, but the practicalities of that um, are potentially very time consuming. Um, it involves, you know, firstly, notifying the tribunal straight away of whenever you're in a situation where you've got a witness who's going to be giving evidence from abroad. And then the tribunal itself have to seek guidance from the Foreign Office as well. Um, and at the same time as that's going on, as well as preparing for the case, um, you will also need to be involved in getting the approvals via the Foreign Office as well. Um, the Foreign Office have said that it usually takes them about eight weeks to get the relevant approvals, but that is very specific, dependent on what foreign state they're getting the permission from. Um so it can be a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Um, there, there are some ways around it. Um, I, th- I think there's there's a number of things you need to have a think about if you are in a situation where a witness is giving evidence from abo- abroad. Um, firstly, it's probably how important is their evidence? Because if they're um, you know, not a key witness, if they're not giving evidence on a particularly substantive point, do you really need to go through all of this just to get, you know, a minor point included as evidence. It's just something to think about. Um, And then secondly, um, whether there's any potential either for the witness ideally to come back to the UK straight away, or if there is another um, country that they can go to where we are aware that it's easier to get approvals from um, because a lot of the time you'll be able to get guidance from the Foreign Office to say which approvals are more easier or more um, efficient to gain than others. So that's a a potential. But obviously, in reality, you know, if the witness doesn't want to get on a plane, a long haul flight or whatever to get somewhere easier to give evidence, then that probably won't work. Um, And Above all, I think the number one tip would be, you know, get your dates to avoid from your witnesses early if if you don't have a listing for a final hearing, because that's going to make your life a lot easier in the long run. Um, but yeah, I guess it just reflects that, you know, CVP hearings can can be great. And, um, you know, I, I definitely think they're here to stay. Um, but yeah, they can bring their own issues as well.
Amy, do you think you've got any predictions on what else is happening with the tribunal? Yeah, no, thanks, Joe. Um, I think um, I suppose taking into account obviously the backlog at the moment and then issues as well. And like you say, if you've got witnesses who are not necessarily in the UK um, at the time they need to give evidence, it it kind of probes for employers to think outside the box. Are there other options? Is it actually worth it? And I suppose another consideration is looking at the claim itself, actually the value of the claim um, and I suppose reputational issues. Actually, is it one that we want to carry on fighting or do we need to take a commercial view? Um, and I think that lead, leads on to my point about going forward with tribunal claims. The backlog is causing these delays and claims are taking years and years to get through the system. And whilst on one hand for employers, they think, oh, it's fine. The claimant can sit there. They're not obviously getting any money out of us at this point in time. The employer is still probably paying legal fees where it needs to, to to fulfill its relevant obligations and orders by the tribunal and I think it probably will prompt and to be honest I've seen this a little bit myself already more settlements and early kind of resolutions whether it's through a mediation a judicial mediation or just negotiating through ACAS or with the individual or their representative directly um, I just think the parties can't afford or don't want to wait for an outcome the employer will probably want it off their books to stop paying out sort of money the claimant obviously wants most of the time wants compensation so I think settlements are very much going to be um, the way going forward um, um, and again, in terms of, I suppose, having an early settlement or resolving the claim a bit earlier, it kind of mitigates or avoids risks for employers. So such as, again, touching on witnesses, um, if you have a claim issued and it relates to if it was a discrimination claim and relates to um, allegations or events that already happened over a long period of time prior to the filing of that claim. And then the hearing isn't until at least two years later, you're potentially looking at like four years of sort of time that's passed for witnesses to try and remember things and most witnesses in their day-to-day -day job probably would struggle I would say I mean I would struggle to remember what I was doing four years ago I struggle what I was doing last week sometimes like so I think it's kind of being aware of that as an employer as well um, and again we've seen it where witnesses actually by the time the hearing comes around have left the employer and have left employment for whatever reason um, and we think we were sort of discussing this um, sort of earlier in terms of if you have got a key witness and it looks like actually their role is going to be made redundant or they are actually inevitably going to leave the business before the hearing and you're set that you're going to wait and attend that final hearing it might be worth if there is like a settlement agreement or getting something in place with that witness in writing that they agree that they will provide that assistance to you as a witness and will continue to provide it for as long as you need it because I think that can be an issue sometimes if someone goes and they are literally the key witness to your defence you're in a bit of a pickle if they're not going to want to be your witness and you don't really want to get a witness order and make them be there because they're probably not going to be a very helpful witness if that's the case. So just something to, I think to bear in mind um, and kind of knowing that your witnesses are there and ready if you are going to go all that way. Um, I think the other comment I'd make sort of just on how things are going at the moment is from my experience recently, I am finding that the tribunals are sort of claimant friendly I would describe it we're finding they are very claimant friendly there are a lot of claimants out there who aren't represented um, for whatever reason and we are finding that whether it's preliminary hearing or final hearing um, that they are sort of I suppose being given a bit more leeway because they're not represented um, and sometimes that can mean that the claim may suddenly grow at a certain point or go a different direction and it's allowed because the claimant didn't quite understand what they were doing at the time they issued the claim because they didn't have that legal 
legal representation. So again, I think employers just need to generally sort of have their wits about them at the moment and have a really serious think when they're faced with a tribunal claim as to whether they want to take it the whole way to a final hearing, especially as they may not know when that will be at the beginning um, of the of the hearing. Um, so I suppose, Joe, just coming back to you quickly, do you um, see an increase? Obviously, you've done a lot of tribunal work sort of over the past couple of years. Do you see an increase of any sort of particular claims or claims covering particular areas coming our way? I thought I had just sort of immediately following the pandemic is um, what has been reported um, quite frequently now about long COVID. Um there, there was some um, statistics released from um, the Office of National Statistics and um, the Equality and Human Rights Commission have also done a report on it recently, all about long COVID and um, how many people are reported as being affected by it at the minute and what the symptoms are. Um, and I, I was just really surprised by um, a how many people have it. So at the minute, it's estimated that 1.8 million people in the UK um, are experiencing self-reported long COVID, um, which I, I mean, you know, obviously seems logical off off the back of of the pandemic. But I guess from our perspective, it's whether that has um, a knock-on effect in terms of the types of disability discrimination claims we might see. Um, there's no um, sort of universal definition at the minute of of what long COVID is. Um, I think most places will follow the Office of National Statistics definition, which is basically if you're still presenting COVID symptoms four weeks after um, you first uh, contract the virus, um, and, and those symptoms can't be explained by something else. So it's it's quite a broad definition. But I think until we you know have more information and can get a more precise definition of what long COVID is, um, that seems to be the one that that people are using at the minute. Um, and I guess whether you know that can be cl classified as a disability under the Equality Act's definition. Um, you know, will will fall into how much evidence can be provided by claimants. So they'll obviously still need to to meet the normal definition of disability. Um, but I guess depending on how severe their their symptoms are and how how long they've had it for, um, that could be a potential sort of trend that we that we see in claims off the back of the pandemic. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, Joe. And and I also think the the population at large has kind of reached its maximum tolerance levels of life it's frustrated by everything that we've we've had thrown at us um and people have made lifestyle choices and 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 ultimately what what that has done is led to perhaps frustration with their employers um which has then in turn led to more claims like there certainly feels like there's been an uptick yeah. um in in those claims in the tribunal system which has a knock-on effect on the numbers and and the delays in in kind of getting to final hearing so yeah i mean and, and i guess final point for me in terms of the tribunal system itself it, it is still looking at a reform program in terms of improving its technology um like i said it has been kicked dragging kicking and screaming into the 21st century but it but it's certainly making uh, strides um you know like most organizations it was forced upon them um and you know kind of they have taken huge huge steps which probably wouldn't have come around anywhere near as fast had covid not come 
Um, there is still gaps. Um, I was only I was in a hearing yesterday, and the judge was really surprised to learn that I had uploaded the documents onto the document portal. Um, it, despite the fact that I had had correspondence from the ET telling me that that's what I should do, the judge was he was taken aback. He said, "Oh, nobody does that, Mr. Graham." So I, I hadn't even checked there for the bundle, and, and he went and logged on, and sure enough, the bundle was there. So it, it's like anything. I think the resources is probably there. It needs to be better used. Now, obviously, the tribunal system is used by lots of represented respondents but equally lots of unrepresented claimants who may not have access to the technology to to allow them to use it so it's that balancing act as well but um so there will be improvements but I, but i feel as if they will be a little bit slow um and will certainly not be at the speed that, that we've had them over the last couple of years but um would be interested to hear any of our listeners' uh, opinions as well on, on terms of experiences they've had at the tribunal and if, if they're different to, to what we've encountered. So, you know, as ever, any 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 queries or any comments, we would we would always welcome them to shoespeakhr at shoesmiths.co.uk. But um, from Amy and myself, Joe, huge thank you for coming to join us today. Much appreciated. No, thank um, you for having me anytime. And I'm sure we will get you back on. You, you've already just said it out loud <laughs> to the public at large anytime. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Bye.